Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. This is Dr. Armin Feldman, along with my friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Bummer. And I think we have a, a really interesting show today. Later, Mike is going to discuss a soft tissue injury case. And I think Mike, that really shows how we can, as medical legal consultants, add value, even in cases with only soft tissue injuries. And uh, before we get to that, uh, as you know, Mike, and as we discussed, I thought I would start off today's show talking about one of the services that our attorney clients uh, often request. In fact, this service is requested more and more frequently the, lo uh, the longer that we provide these services to our attorney clients. And of course, as you know, what I'm talking about is acting as a liaison between the attorney and the treating doctors. In fact, both of us have acted as a liaison to treating doctors many, many, many times. Exactly, Armin. And as we know, the treating doctors, it's not top of their mind to necessarily be involved in legal proceedings and, and these legal matters. Their primary concern, their day-to-day -day is treating patients, improving patient outcomes, doing surgery. And so having what I found is just having a doctor in the middle who speaks the language, you know, walks the walk and talks the talk as a liaison between them has really greased the wheels to allow better outcomes and, and help our attorneys. And I'm guessing that's where you're going to take this. Absolutely. So when an attorney calls a treating doctor's office and tells the receptionist that he or she wants to speak with the doctor about some medical issues, sometimes it can be a problem for the attorney to get through. Now, uh, as you know, there's several reasons why attorneys have difficulty getting through to treating doctors. For example, uh, the doctors uh, may just be too busy to interrupt office hours, especially these days since the pandemic. And for some doctors, they just don't want to pick up the phone because they don't want to get involved in legal cases. And there are other reasons as well. I've had attorneys that are waiting months just to get almost a verbal confirmation on a matter from, from their treating doctor. And it, it, it's I, I don't know that there's malice or even... Mm -hmm. uh, intentional disregard. I, I think it's, it, it maybe is just a disinterest among the clinical practicing physician. I think that's true, Mike. 
Uh, although, you know, I'll tell you, I have found that the uh, treating doctors uh, are extremely cooperative and cordial when I call on behalf of one of our attorney clients. You know, as soon as they know that we're not there to criticize, we don't want to look over their shoulder, we just want to facilitate what's happening in this legal case, then they're happy to talk with me. Now, sometimes I can do this liaison work over the phone, but usually it's necessary for me to schedule an appointment um, and either go to the physician's office or now these days do it by Zoom. So here's an example. Now, this example is a typical consultation case of this kind. So the client was rear-ended in an auto crash. And after the accident, the client had the immediate onset of low back pain and was subsequently found on a lumbar MRI to have a disc protrusion at L45. Now, when the attorney reviewed the past medical records, she noted that the client had had an episode of low back pain sometime in the past. Now, perhaps the client was involved in an earlier accident or had an earlier work-related injury, or the client just had the spontaneous onset of low back pain sometime in the past. Uh, in fact, something our listeners should know is that about half of all adults in the United States will have at least one bout of severe back pain sometime in their life for which they'll seek out medical attention. Now, by seeking out past medical attention, this can obviously muddy the waters in the current case by uh, suggesting a possible pre-existing condition. Now, even though the back pain can be quite severe, with time and conservative treatment, the bout of back pain will completely remit and it will never become a chronic problem. Exactly. Yeah, but now their back pain issue is buried somewhere in their medical records, right? So it was the opinion of the attorney that the rear end accident was the cause of their client's current low back pain that started immediately after the accident and not due to a pre-existing condition. So the attorney wanted me to meet with the client's primary care doctor and make sure that the doctor was in agreement with the attorney's medical theory for the case that the auto crash was the immediate and proximate cause of the new disc protrusion and the client's current low back pain. And I did that. Uh, the doctor, while I was there, I asked the doctor if he uh, would in fact write a, a brief note in his records and then pass that note along uh, to the uh, attorney that um, in fact, he, he could attribute the causation of the client's uh, disc problem and symptoms uh, to the auto accident. And 
I, I and you've done this too, but you know, I have met with physicians for this specific purpose. That is elucidating causation probably more times than I can remember. Right? That's that's fantastic. I mean, that often is the key piece that we know our attorneys need to connect the dots to move a case forward to to appropriately settle those nine out of 10 cases that we know uh, they, they need this causative link. Right, that's right. So I thought I would just mention one other case that it was kind of unusual. And this was a case of a 61-year-old man who went to their primary care physician and what their complaints were they had the recent onset of cognitive loss and depression. And the PCP started working up the client for the possible onset of dementia. I mean, that's what you would think, right? Mm -hmm. But the, um, I think this was part of the man's uh, mild traumatic brain injury because what he failed to uh, report to his primary care doctor that is that he had been involved in a slip and fall outside of a retail store where it was very icy. They hadn't taken care of the ice and he slipped. His legs go out from under him. He flies up and sure enough, he uh, smashes the uh, back of his head right on the pavement. But he didn't mention this to his PCP when he came in with his complaint. So um, how was the PCP to know that he had been involved in a recent slip and fall? So now the attorney was in a conundrum because he gets the medical records from the treating doctors and there's nothing in the record uh, about this client having fallen and smashed the uh, back of his head. Uh, so uh, I made an appointment, went to the treating doctor's office, and I said, hey, I think that you don't know this, that your client actually had uh, trauma, uh, blunt force trauma to the back of his head, and that the most likely explanation of the sudden onset of the symptoms, uh, the cognitive loss, the depression, this was this is due to a mild traumatic brain injury, which you possibly couldn't know about. In fact, I pointed out uh, to the physician that I thought that his patients and our clients' failure to mention the slip and fall was actually a symptom of his mild traumatic brain injury. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. That you know that actually reminds me of a, of a very recent matter where you know different but similar where i had a my attorney client was asking me input on whether or not i i believed that a uh his client had a stroke but had previously seven days prior been involved in a car crash that uh, caused a documented mild traumatic brain injury. And the the mm. first question, number one, is did I believe they could be related, which he believed that he uh, had felt compelled to pursue this. And then number two, the linking this to our topic today, he asked me to find a treating doctor within reasonable distance that could make that causative link. He was looking for a neurologist or someone with specialty in stroke yeah. or mild traumatic brain injury. And sure enough, 
uh, it, this was on the East Coast, and there were, there were some specialty centers nearby. I was able to find a doctor that specialized in mild traumatic brain injury, sequelae, and ultimately had special training in neurologic stroke care. I was able to reach out to this expert. And so kind of crossing over, playing liaison to finding this client, a treating doctor, someone who is in the in this realm of research, I was able to speak to the expert about some of my thoughts. I found a paper that showed an increased risk. I think it was about a seven to nine percent increased risk mm. of stroke in the immediate period following mm. a mild to moderate uh, traumatic brain injury. And wow. the the pra- the expert actually had not seen that research, and I was able to forward it and you know kind of uh, play middleman in this medical. Uh, complicated scenario. Yeah, good. yeah, that's great. And uh, you're particularly good at that, I think. But uh, yeah, that's uh, something where we can really help facilitate it. Uh, what I often say is, you know, our job is not only to help the uh, attorney help the case, but ultimately we want to help that injured person to in any way that we can to help them get back up on their feet. Bingo. Yep. Yes. So let me just say one last thing. We'll go on. But um, so most of the time in these situations, when we act as a liaison, we're, we're talking about working with treating doctors. But we've been asked to, in some rare occasions, uh, be a liaison between the attorney and families and more often uh, professionals and uh, service and governmental agencies. But um, so but that's all I had on that. So uh What's the uh, soft injury? Yes, yeah, yeah, segue, uh, very abrupt segue into soft tissue injury here. <laughs> so, the uh, this case I thought of whenever we were we were thinking about something unique to discuss today, it, it, it immediately jumped into my mind because oftentimes our attorneys have difficulty getting a, a a good settlement or what would be considered an adequate settlement on a case that is only involving soft tissue injury. And when I say that, you know, I'm talking about uh, back pain, uh, whiplash, things that are not necessarily imaged on a CT scan or an MRI or a bulge disc. And right. so this case was was uh, pretty, I, I think, standard of soft tissue injuries. This was a young woman in her late 20s who had two separate accidents within the same calendar year. The attorney and I loosely kind of joked that, you know, some, some of these people seem to have like a red X on them. And it seems like there's the unlucky, unlucky crew. And so this young woman was a waitress and was a properly restrained driver of a vehicle. She was coming home from work and she was crashed into to no fault of her own on the rear passenger side of her vehicle. The, the car was totaled. And she was so upset and, and, and shaken by this. She had some baseline anxiety. And she noticed in the months following this crash that she, uh, I should note, she went to the emergency room and was diagnosed mm-hmm. with a neck strain and non-intractable headache. She was given a muscle relaxant and some steroids and, and told to follow up with her PCP. Then, you know, months go on and, and she finds that she's, you know, very sore. She's, she's missing shifts at her job. She's not able to put the chairs up on the table at the end of the shift. So she's actually paying 
the busboys to do this because she's unable to do it. She had a large dog that she would walk and hike and, and she was no longer doing any of that because it just hurt and was so uncomfortable. She, right. she went to see a chiropractor, as we know, which is extremely common in these situations. The chiropractor made some good diagnostic notes and assessed her, her pain and issues. Then interestingly, about nine months after the initial accident, she had a second accident, which on a, on a uh, high-speed highway, she was stopped in traffic and someone crashed right into the back of her. Can I jump in? For uh, just a please do. So, you know, you were talking a minute ago about what this woman couldn't do anymore. And now that that's not objective evidence like a broken bone uh, on an MRI or CT scan. But I think that's objective evidence in these um, soft tissue injury cases. It's one of the ways that we can help to prove them up. I mean, she was actually coming out of her pocket to have somebody else do part of her job uh, because of a functional loss. That's exactly right. That, and that's exactly the narrative that I wrote in this report. As you know, Armin, our reports are often eight, nine, 14 pages long. We really walk through the entire experience of the client to, mm-hmm. to convey their functional losses. So, yeah. so she had this second crash. And again, without getting into all the details, it was, it was pretty significant. Uh, it did not total her car this time, but it was uh, very traumatic to her. And she had re-aggravated this neck pain and strain. She again went to the ER. Uh, they diagnosed her with a, uh, a uh, what they believed was a whiplash and discharged her with similar medications. Although she considered that her neck got extremely, uh, you know, significantly worse after the second crash. And so the, all of these co- problems compounded. So what I was able to do as part of this report is outline her neck pain, you know, before and after a clear black and white scenario, her low back pain that she experienced that she could no longer really function. She was having this new sciatic type pain that, that didn't exist beforehand. And I was able to look through the record and, and make that distinction, including some peer reviewed research like we often do. But what I thought you would find really interesting, and I didn't tell you this about this case Mm -hmm. is she also suffered a new mood disorder mm-hmm. that while I was speaking to her as part of my phone interview that I do, she, she said things like, every time I get in the car now, I think I'm going to get into a wreck. She yeah. said, and this is, these are quotes from my report. She said, I'm terrified. I get into my car and I just start to freak out. And then she even shared a story that said, you know, I, my father was driving to dinner the other night. And he swerved to avoid a car that was kind of coming into his lane. She said she got so upset that her heart wouldn't stop racing. Even once she got home, she couldn't calm down for over 30 minutes. And she said, no one could understand why I was so upset. And this happens a lot now. So I went through a question and answer with her and decided that based upon DSM-4 criteria, and included this research in the report and the criteria that she very likely suffered from post-traumatic, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Sure. And yeah, the symptoms, right? Absolutely. And it was as clear as day. So what I was able to do is, is suggest that to my attorney that she go seek 
uh, psychiatric evaluation for this. There are very good treatments. I mean, she's in her late 20s. This poor girl should not be afraid to get into a vehicle um, right. and drive in a major city. Uh, where So we outlined all of this. I outlined the future care, medical costs for what that care would be, what her neck pain and strain, how that was limiting her life. And the attorney also asked me to apportion this was unique because the, with the two crashes, the attorney asked mm -hmm. me to apportion what I believed in my medical opinion, you know, to a reasonable degree of medical probability, what percent was related to the first crash versus mm -hmm. the second crash. Mm -hmm. And that was all tidied up into this report. And ultimately, I gave him a chart on the medical costs as I saw them as my research um, uh, led me to believe. And, and this was extremely helpful for the attorney and his client in negotiating this and navigating this case. Yeah. So it's what we we're talking about a minute ago. So uh, unfortunate for this uh, poor woman that she developed the psychiatric condition and that was limiting her life. But so we were able to help direct uh, the proper diagnosis and treatment of that. But uh, of course, also, uh, it's obvious, but this was also a, a new uh, and, a, and another damage in the case. Absolutely. And as part of that, I was able to recommend that she undergo this treatment, which my attorney had never heard of called EMDR. And it, right. you know, it helps. It's a, extremely effective for PTSD. And there's a, there's a cost and an arrangement that goes into that. And this was now all able to be included as part of his settlement demand. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, the, the EMDR, uh, eye movement, uh, desensitization and rehabilitation, um, that's a, a treatment. Can, uh, let me just say one, one quick thing about that that I think is kind of interesting. So, uh, a, psych, a PhD psychologist had a, a trauma in her life and she had to take some time off from work and uh, she was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and one of the things that helped her was she used to take long walks and she was uh, into nature. She would be looking at this, looking at that, looking at this butterfly, watching this bird, taking a look at this leaf. And all of a sudden she had an epiphany and she realized that, and she started feeling better. And she realized that it was the rapid, I don't know how she figured this out, but it was the rapid eye movements that were helping her. And that was the birth of uh, EMDR, and uh, which eventually turned into uh, a formalized way to help people with uh, mild traumatic brain injury. Uh, apparently, uh, that's what uh, your client was going to have, but kind of an interesting side story. Yeah, that's fascinating. You're always good for these, these background <laughs> stories, Armin. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got today. I'm happy okay. to call it there. And I, I would look forward to the next episode unless there's anything else you want to talk about. No, I don't have anything else. So um, if you uh, enjoyed this episode, we would certainly appreciate it if you'd give us a, a five-star rating. If you have a comment or a question, uh, please email us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. And uh, we look forward to talking uh, with you and uh, on our next episode. 
Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. Thank you.